0: Hello, Kubernetes community, and welcome to another episode of the PodCTL podcast. Uh, We're coming to you a week uh, removed from KubeCon last week in Seattle. So, what did you think, Brian? It was big. It was. uh, I
1: don't want to say it was like overwhelmingly big because you know that would probably be like reinvent level or uh, (laughs) or you know Oracle Open World or like the Salesforce event, but you know for for an open source event for. KubeCon, it was it was really big. I mean, it just it felt, you know, I walked through the main thing and you were like, man, there are a lot of companies working on this. There are a lot of people. Um so yeah, that was the that was the first initial thing to me it was like it just like there was a lot there. A lot of people, a lot of companies, a lot of a lot of announcements, uh big.
0: Yeah, yeah, I would agree. I think uh what was the the numbers like about 8,000 attendees. I, I the one thing I noticed on that front is I think, you know, you mentioned some of those really big shows that, you know, what are what are they um like uh, Dreamforce and Oracle Open World stuff—they get like almost a hundred thousand people, right? right? I mean, they're right. they're enormous, spread across multiple locations. Um, but I think as you know, seeing other communities get bigger, like uh, back in the you know OpenStack days, or even the early VMware VMworld days, seeing it grow from you know a couple thousand to twenty or thirty thousand, um, there there definitely hits a point where people realize like, hey, we have to. Taking into account, we can't just scale everything up and, and we're good. Right. Uh, and I think that hit that point. I think people know, like the, how close the booths were together and things like, like it just wasn't optimal for eight thousand people. And I think uh, I'm sure there'll be some course correction uh, for the next um, you know North America one next year as as the con- community continues to grow. You sort of have to you know make adjustments to be able to handle crowds of that size. Yeah, I, and I think the other thing I, to me, um, <clears throat> you know, when you go from you know
1: let, let's say 5 or 8000 to like the 15 or 20000 to me the big difference there is um you know the, the early shows the early KubeCons that we used to go to was very very you know vendor centric or sort of developer centric right like everybody there was basically like yeah I either write the software or i sell the software and this one felt more like probably maybe I don't know the exact numbers, but like kind of a 50-50 mix. I mean, obviously, there was a lot of vendors, as we mentioned, but I think there were a lot of customers there. I I talked to a lot of companies who are doing stuff, people who are customers. Um, And I think to get to that next level in terms of like how big the event gets, I think you need a whole ecosystem then of other companies that are involved. Like so the, the cube community doesn't yet have like a big systems integrator VAR kind of community yet. There's some there are some companies, but but that's not very big yet. Everything is sort of very direct early adopter, you know, early user type of uh type of people that are there, I think.
0: Yeah, and I think I think you you hit on that uh pretty well right there is that it was people either that write the kube code itself or sell it or people who you know use it uh as an end developer and you know know about the technical kind of uh nuts and bolts uh but yeah i think there was a huge influx of people uh definitely this year that are hey, yeah i just i buy it from so and so or we use this cloud services kubernetes like i i'm not here for the the kube internals i'm here for use cases you know maybe some other you know higher level stuff i want to add on like I i want to you know upgrade my logging or, or something like that. Uh, I saw a lot more of that where they're like, hey, we 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 actually don't care about I mean that much about the you know deep dive the internals. And I think I think that's where you also see as the, the conferences get bigger, you know, have more tracks sort of set up for the different types of attendees. You know, we have some more birds of a feather sessions and and things, you know, maybe more business focused and and things like that. So uh yeah it should should be interesting to see how that how that grows. Yeah. The the other thing I think just in terms of kind of the the community that's around
1: it, uh you know if you go back a year, two years, everything was <clears throat> was basically like um you know there's a lot of distributions, if you will, right there was a lot of people who were like, yeah I, I have a Kubernetes if you want a Kubernetes or you know I have a basic tool that sort of falls in the cNCf ecosystem. Uh, this one felt like a pretty robust set of companies, you know, whether it was networking companies, storage companies, logging companies uh, you know, developer tooling, you know, developer frameworks, um, all the cloud providers were there. Like it, it felt like if you were a customer and you were like, okay, I, I'm going to buy some stuff to use to build these things. Like there was a pretty full toolbox there of things that you could go talk to and, and all sorts of, you know, companies that did that stuff were there.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I think, um, I think that's, that to me is a sign of a healthy, you know, ecosystem where, um, you know, there's there's room for all that stuff and people are, are interested in those things, you know. Um, yeah, you know, there was some add-on stuff around, you know, kind of OpenStack, but it was always still very heavily we'll help you do the OpenStack, we'll sell you the OpenStack, you know, kind of thing, more than there was that, oh, so you've been doing OpenStack for a couple of years, you may now want this other thing right. uh, to go on top, which there by having a lot of that in the community, that to me is a pretty good sign. Yeah, the last thing that I saw that was I- I don't know if it
1: was unique, but it was the first time I saw it in <clears throat> in larger numbers. I mean, obviously, uh, we did an event the day before called uh, OpenShift Common Gatherings. We had a, a whole bunch of uh, end user customers speak, and um, you know, uh, there were a number that spoke throughout the week. I mean, there was there there was definitely the trend of here's our story, however far along it is six months, twelve months, you know, two years, whatever. And at the end, it was you know, hey, and we're hiring, um, and 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 that's pretty normal at events. The thing that was interesting to me was I probably saw at least a half dozen what you would consider sort of end user companies that were that had taken out a booth that were like literally there probably recruiting trying to show off some stuff they did I know I saw um you know Home Depot was there and I think Macy's was there and Nordstrom's was there and you know some companies who have you know kind of gotten out on the speaking circuit in terms of what they do but it was the first time I ever think I've seen end user companies like acting like a vendor and, uh, you know, trying to represent themselves as a very technical company as opposed to, you know, you know, just being a, a speaker on behalf of some other vendor.
0: Yeah, the first time I saw that was – that I took notice of it was actually at reInvent. Uh, Netflix had a booth um, and it was mainly – Talk to you know. Talk to us about our open source projects. We have. We'll, we'll take resumes. Uh, you know that right. kind of thing. I, I thought, hmm, that's it's kind of interesting. So yeah, to see that and continuing to this community, I think is is a is an interesting angle. And the funny thing about sort of the hey and we're hiring is obviously there, there's kind of a there's a shortage of people that can can do uh, some of these things, and that's why uh, companies are on the hunt. Um, but I think it's just it's it's as we have moved into all these new technologies, we see. It was hey people with Docker experience now it's Kubernetes um, you know OpenStack virtualization whatever I think um, you know the the trend of um, you know there's this there's this hole in open source around um, you know sort of training. When it comes to it. So if you're, you know, if you're a VMware or something, you're a big uh, software vendor, or you're even a Red Hat, you, you you produce a lot of training materials to because the more people that are trained on your stuff, you know, more likely, they're going to buy your stuff too. Um, whereas, you know, there is, you know, generic uh, Kubernetes training, there's generic uh, OpenStack training, but it seems that companies. Are looking for people ready to go that they and I think that's kind of been a trend for a while that companies haven't been investing in uh, development skill development internally as much and like oh we'll just go out and and hire the people that know the new thing when they get out there and they realize it's new it's a new thing so there aren't that many people right. and uh, and so the going rate's pretty high too right 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 um, <clears throat>
1: where do you want to start I mean there was you know I, I think, in talking to people you know you, you write up a trip report or you talk to some some colleagues or something and they go, "Oh well, you know what how was it and you were you're kind of a little bit overwhelmed because there's so many things going on whether it's you know, technical talks, lightning talks, uh, you know, seeing people in booths, all that, like wh- where, where would you start if you were kind of talking to people about like kind of what, what you saw, should we start with just some of the basic red hat stuff and then cover other things or where would you like to start?
0: Yeah. Why don't we, do, why don't we do that when we get the, the red hat stuff, uh, knocked out first and then, and go from there. You met, you mentioned the commons gathering on uh Monday. Yep. Uh, and we, uh, we had some, we showed some new software there.
1: Yeah, so uh, we'll we'll put it was all it was all taped. It's all on YouTube now. We'll put the thing in the show notes. Um, Some of you have heard us talk. Obviously, Red Hat bought CoreOS back in January. We've been working like crazy to get. The CoreOS technologies integrated in OpenShift. Uh, so for the first time, we showed off kind of a preview of uh, of OpenShift Four, which is going to be really the full integration of CoreOS technologies. So both sort of CoreOS Linux uh, and um, and the technon- tectonic over the air uh, technologies, all the operator technologies, uh, is now kind of early preview. It's not really a full launch at this point because it's not ready to go GA yet. Kind of early beta, early launch. Um, And if anybody wants to go take a look at it, you can go to try.openshift.com. So uh, you can go play with it. All the bits are out there. Uh, We'd love to hear feedback or, um, you know, there's details on the web page about how to get feedback. But yeah, it was kind of the first live time we showed anybody kind of what it looked like, OpenShift as immutable, uh, simple to upgrade, fully based on operators and so forth. So I, I think that kind of, you know, got a lot of people's attention.
0: Yeah, yeah, I think uh I think that was uh pretty, you know, kind of the first public unveiling of uh of, you know, the new version. Uh, I thought that was uh, you know, you got to see those features. You know, some of this uh CoreOS stuff had been, you know, making its way in in, in earlier versions, but to see this is sort of like the the big step for sort of some of the bigger features to come in all at once was uh, pretty nice to see. Yeah, the other one thing they
1: showed um that you got to watch a little bit in the in the in the video is um they showed a pretty cool uh, auto scaling, cluster auto scaling feature, which I think for a lot of people that are, you know, starting to look at um, some of the public cloud services and some of the, you know, kind of, you know, I don't really want to manage nodes anymore. I wish they would scale up automatically. I wish they would just kind of get updated automatically. I, I think they're going to be pretty happy between the automatic updates, uh, what CoreOS does in terms of immutability, and this. Um, you know, in this cluster, you know, kind of uh, autoscaler capabilities, which was, which was really pretty cool and, and how you can trigger it and so forth.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very cool. Um, one of the other things from a, from a Red Hat perspective was uh, the etcd uh, being donated to CNCF. So if people may have assumed it was already in there, um, but it was something that came over with the, the CoreOS acquisition too. And, and so, you know, it's, it's sort of the, the bedrock of Kubernetes, right? That's, that's where we're, we're storing all the data.
1: Yeah, and I think this one was sort of important. I, I was like you; I just thought it was, uh, you know, it was open source and it was fine, and nobody complained about it. I, I think, I think there's a couple reasons why it happened. One, um, you know, it, it sort of is. completes what CoreOS has been doing in terms of making sure everything is open source after the acquisition. Um, But the more I kind of dug into it, you you realize and looking, you know, hearing Brandon Phillips tell the story about it and and all these different projects that use it. I mean, Kubernetes obviously uses it, but Cloud Foundry uses it. There's a bunch of databases that use it. Quay uses it. Uh, Rook uses it. Um, So I, I think it was kind of a good signal to the community to say, "Hey, um, this isn't just a Kubernetes thing. It's not just a CoreOS Red Hat thing. Like, there's a lot of different projects that rely on this, and let's make sure that the governance and the ownership and everything is is independent of of anything that might happen in the future. Um, and uh, you know, it's a it's a pretty amazing project that that it's that well adopted, um, you know, and used at scale in a lot of different places.
0: Yeah, yeah, I think that's the key is. Um, you know, the, the sort of thing, things, people's take on foundations, uh, software foundations and stuff seem to vary. And I I think CNCF has been, been hitting the nail on the head pretty well lately where it's, Hey, yeah, you know, we'll, we're a good place for you to land your project. Um, but that doesn't necessarily imply a, uh, you know, endorsement or that they all the projects go together or anything like that. So I think, uh, you know, with this being such an important piece of the Kubernetes ecosystem, having it in the CNCF, I think makes a ton of sense. Yep. Yep.
1: Uh, The Envoy project graduated. Um, You know, that's one of those ones I think people have felt like it was getting pretty mature because it's part of Istio. Istio is now 1.0, but it sort of officially became a graduated project, which, um, you know, it's now Kubernetes, Prometheus and, and Envoy are sort of officially graduated in uh, CNCF. So um, you know, kudos to Matt Klein and, and the whole team at, at Lyft for, for having uh, brought that this far along. I know it's, it's uh, hugely important and a lot of people are basing their service mesh technologies on, on Envoy and, and you know, Istio and other things.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um The next thing I, I wanted to uh, to talk about was, you know, you said, like, what are the things you remember that you saw a lot, heard a lot, or something like that? <laughs> One of the most common um, conversations that came up during the week was uh, about Heptio. So Heptio, they got acquired by VMware um, a, a little ways back. Uh, but VMware's quarterly filings had the actual dollar amount in it. So last week was the first time that that information was public with a $550 million price tag. Yeah, that was a it was a pretty significant one. I think a lot of people were
1: were pretty surprised at how high that was. Uh, I think the team was about 60 people. So first off, congratulations to all of them or, and and to their VCs. That was a a very good exit for a company that, you know, basically been around for a year uh ish, um, you know, was sort of on the fringe of a, of products, uh, you know, I mean, uh, mostly a consulting company. Um, uh, but I, you know, I think it does sort of you know, if, you, if you, put, you use a couple of data points, um, you know, CoreOS was $250 million back in basically end of January, February, and uh, Heptio was $550 million for half as many people, uh, you know, basically eight or nine months later. So it, it gives you a little sense of kind of the craziness and the growth and the acceleration going on in the community.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I think it's, uh, it's, it would definitely surprise me. Um, you know, we all had our guesses. Um, so that was significantly higher, I think than than I heard anyone guess. Um, so yes, yeah, congrats to, congrats to the Heptio team um, and, uh, and to VMware. But yeah, I think it, it it's a, um, you know, it's definitely shows the, uh, the investment that's going into this community. And I think a piece of it, sh- you know, is because uh, you're seeing, you know, you're seeing success. Whereas, if this was sort of a a dying community or flat, you'd still see consolidation as people exited, but you'd see them, you know, with with you know pennies on the dollar just trying to save their investment. Where here, you said it was a pretty pretty significant um, you know exit for them. Yep, yep. Um You
1: know, there was a couple other things we'll put in the show notes. People can go look at. Um, we'll actually, I think, if I can fit them in the show notes, sometimes they get truncated. Um, there were. Uh, almost 40 announcements. So, you know, if you put it in context uh, you know, reinvent by themselves did about 40 different announcements of, you know, new products and things. Uh, this had about 40 or so announcements. Um, you know, so there was a lot, it was a big fire hose to sort of take in, um, you know, as, as everything that went on. And, and the good news is it looks like almost all of the videos, whether they were the keynotes or some of the, the breakout sessions are all posted online now. So people, you know, if you've got some break over, you know, some time over the holidays, so, you know, start, start consuming this stuff because it, uh, it can be a little bit overwhelming.
0: Yeah, yeah. There's some there's some fantastic sessions in there, some great content um and you, you can enjoy from uh from your couch with your uh with your agnug. Yeah.
1: So we hit on some of the things that that people were talking about kind of hallway conversations or a headline or something. What what were some of the trends that you were, you know, just kind of observing and and trying to process and, and put in context, you know, throughout the week?
0: Um I think um you know, it's you know, people nitpick it a little where they say, you know, hey, uh, this you know, Kubernetes is now boring. Um uh, you know, or easy or something like that. Usually what they mean is is not that it actually is, um, just that it's it's pretty stable and you know and and predictable at this point. And it's still, you know, a lot of a lot of code and hard work's going into it. Um but they're but because they are past those initial success stages, they're they're looking, to, like we said earlier, really move up the stack. Uh, so you saw a lot more companies with you know, not even just stuff, what I would say, around Kubernetes, but more even on top of how how am I getting my you know code into Kubernetes? You know, things like GitOps and, and, and different approaches like that, I thought was, uh, you know, seemed to be a pretty big focus across the board.
1: Yeah, Git, GitOps was talking about some, uh, you know, we saw a lot around service mesh. Uh, we're beginning to see some things around sort of Knative and serverless or functions, however you want to categorize that. Um. So yeah, definitely, you know, those sort of things on top, and then the other the other trend I'm seeing, and, and I guess this makes sense because it's a little bit chaotic or not defined, um, is we're seeing a lot of kind of programming models, uh, you know, trying to be created on top of Kubernetes. People essentially now saying, okay, this Kubernetes thing seems to be where people are going. Um, Kubernetes by itself doesn't necessarily feel like something that has a well-defined programming model on top of it. So, you know, what are some of the new things we can do, especially for, you know, microservices cloud native can can happen there. Um, you know, we'd already seen some of this with things like uh, Draft and Brigade and Scaffold and some of the stuff that, that Microsoft was working on. Uh, but we saw companies like Atomist and Windmill and uh, Palumi with Ballerina, you know, a bunch of these other things that are, I think people are kind of experimenting with. They're trying to figure out, you know, do I embed this in the IDE? Do I build a whole new you know framework for how to do stuff? Um, you know, stuff like that. And you know, developers are finicky; they'll they'll sort of pick and choose what they like. And um, but you know, I saw that trend starting to bubble up a little bit, and I think we're probably still a little ways away from that you know solidifying or or kind of uh, you know narrowing at this point.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think the, there's a combination of you know people are looking for. Um, you know, the, the way that they can interact with the environment the best way possible, that's easy for them, for their developers. Um, uh, but then also at the same time, they're really looking for a lot of portability. Um, and it's good to see, you know, a lot of times we've seen like new projects or, or, or ideas pop up, it's, it's, you know, let's get it, you know, it's MVP, let's get this thing working it out there. And it's like, Ooh, how are we going to deal with this? How are we going to deal with that? Um, and I think what I've seen is a lot of these different solutions. There's a lot of focus of the on, you know, ongoing, uh, both, uh, day two sort of what happens you know as we go forward with our code uh, in this type of system and then also portability so hey yeah we're using our on-prem Kube now or we're using public cloud what happens if we want to go somewhere else you know how does you know these tooling decisions affect that too so it's it's pretty interesting to see you know those those that playing out um, this early in the, in the game yeah I, I think I think the cncf is
1: kind of playing an interesting game here and, and again I don't know if this is gameplay I think this is just sort of natural evolution but you know, for a while, the the event was really KubeCon, but it was still called Cloud Native uh, Cloud Native Con, and so forth. and And people always thought it was a little weird. It was like, "Hey, here's this cloud native landscape," and there was, I mean, like almost a hundred or something projects and different things on there. And people were like, "This is overwhelming. Why are you showing all this stuff? We just want to talk about Kubernetes." Um, and now, you know, just to put it in perspective, like. We the OpenShift Commons event used to be kind of the only event that went on the day before. It was just a, a, a gathering of a, of a community. Um, I think there were fifteen or twenty kind of breakout um, sort of community events the day before. And so I, I think to me the trend to read into that is um, Cloud Native Con is probably going to become more Cloud Native Con than it will KubeCon. I mean Q- Kubernetes will still be a piece of it, but like there seems to be little pockets of communities that are finding their way around this ecosystem and they're comfortable around the ecosystem. Um, so I, I think it's going to be a pretty diverse event going forward in terms of the te- breadth of technologies you can go learn about if you want to.
0: Yeah, it, it's on that note, uh, one of the attendees uh, that I talked to uh, that's an end user of Kubernetes uh, told me that he was actually more, you know, excited for and surprised about the, you know, that they got a lot of the Envoy uh, Day um, stuff they did. So I think, yeah, I think that's I could definitely see that where, you know, hey, that it's it's just more of a a a point in place in time where all these different communities can get together where it's not like, oh, we're using all these open source technologies and we have to go all over the place to to get together as a group. It's like, hey, for a week in this city, all these CNCF project people will be getting together. So if you wanna, you know, you may not even be using Kubernetes, right? You may be using, you know, some some of the, a lot of different projects and just, Oh, this day we're going to meet with those people. And I could even see instead of it just being like the pre day, um, the, you know, the first day, like they did this year with Monday, I could see sort of breaking out that way throughout the week. Right. Right. Yeah, no, that'll, that'll be interesting. You know, that, <clears throat> that will play a big
1: role in, you know, locality where it's based at, um, you know, next year it's going to be in San Diego. Uh, the U S one will be in San Diego. Uh, the European one Think is in May is going to be in Barcelona, um, you know. So you, you've got to put them in places that are reachable uh, that people want to stay for a while. Um, Seattle was great; it was a little bit rainy and cold, but that's how Seattle is. Um, any other little tidbits that you that you've kind of picked up throughout the week that you thought were interesting or people might be interested in kind of learning about?
0: Um, what I thought was interesting was you know I think sort of uh you know the assumption was made well. For this, you know, if we're going to build some some microservices, you know, service we need a service mesh, and we've talked about things like Istio before, um, is to see some of the. Um, Interest in no, that's even though you know it's 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 relatively stable now, but interested in, in just the sub components. I thought was really fascinating. Like no, 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 we just want to do the envoy thing. We don't we don't need the rest of that. Yeah. Um, and the other thing is, which I think is is evident that people are using you know containers and Kubernetes platforms for real apps and, and pretty heavily is the interest in observability, right? Um, and beyond just even projects like Jaeger, uh, but distributed tracing, observability, logging, um, you know that the a lot of interest both uh, from attendees as well. Those, you know some companies that do work in those spaces. Uh, I think that's that was also pretty evident. Yep.
1: Yep. I, uh, I learned terms like high cardinality data, which always gets talked about with uh, observability. I had no idea what that meant, but uh, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I thought there was a couple of other interesting little tidbits in there. Um, AWS actually published, um, and, I, and I've never seen them do this, they actually published a sort of a roadmap on GitHub of their like ECS, EKS, and Fargate, kind of their containers roadmap, if you will. Uh, we'll put a link in the show notes. Um, first time I've really seen kind of AWS make a public roadmap. Um, it's, a little bit, it's a little bit unusual if you're expecting it to be really robust. Um, lots of things missing. Lots of things don't have, uh, you know, things assigned to them and there's no dates and so forth. So, you know, don't set your hopes too high. But, uh, you know, I thought it was interesting that, that AWS was being transparent like that.
0: Yeah, yeah. I thought it was really fascinating because I think of the, you know, um, major cloud providers, they generally get the reputation um, as being really open when it comes to things like outages and, you know, really, really yep. good detailed postmortems. Um, but, you know, besides that, the sort of inner workings type stuff, they seem to be pretty, uh, pretty closed lipped about. So that was, yeah, I thought that was pretty, uh, definitely uh, raised my eyebrow, but it, I think it's a, I think it's a good trend overall. People, people like to know where, you know, where their technology that they're betting on is going, whether it's a you know software company or cloud provider.
1: Yeah, I, I saw a couple days later and maybe it wasn't a couple days later, but the, the the Azure group has a roadmap out there now. I'll put that in the show notes as well. If you sort of drill down into like AKS or containers, you can see some of their, uh, you know, in there today and, and, and incoming roadmaps as well. Um, The other thing, last sort of thing, and this wasn't really a KubeCon thing, but it kind of has been coming up, and and we may want to dig into this in in future shows, um, because it will intersect this community. Um, You know, we talked about Amazon. People have different opinions on, you know, how good of of an open source uh, community member they are, you know, how much they give back or how much they take. Um, It was interesting to watch some of the companies, and I think it was Confluent that, that got everybody's attention this last week, you know, companies that are big open source companies, kind of commercial open source companies, if you will, starting to change their licensing to try and be a little more protective of of the big sort of SaaS and and cloud providers just taking their technology and turning it into a service.
0: Yeah, yeah. I think, um, yeah, all the licensing talk, um, which I'm sure uh, Stephen O'Grady is so happy to hear, uh, becoming a topic constantly. Um, But I think all the, you know, is, is there's definitely some... Sort of friction in in the model right now, and it's and it's where does it go from here when it comes to you know the the cloud providers uh, versus sort of the the individual contributors and then the contributing companies.
1: Yeah, so that'll be that'll be an interesting trend to sort of watch. Again, we'll put some things in the show notes for people. We don't we're not sort of taking a stance on on you know what's the right license or wrong license, but um, it, you know we've seen this now from a couple of companies where. You know they're they're trying to say, look, we we would like to build a big community. We'd like it to be open source as much as possible, but at the same time, you know, we want to you know remain viable as a company. And uh, so it's it's interesting just to watch the market dynamics and and you know when you compare that to the breadth of people that are showing up at these events. I think I think the biggest takeaway you're going to have from this is like the rules are sort of changing and people aren't exactly sure you know, how all the dynamics are going to play out. And so, uh, it's definitely a fun place to be. It's, you know, it's moving really fast, but, uh, um, you know lots of innovation, lots of people interested and and uh and the business models around it are, are kind of shifting as we go so
0: yeah um, yeah i think it's i think it's you know if you think about it, you know it was always hey, if you want to you know use if you were using some sort of open source thing, uh you were either contributing directly because you were using the free and open source version, so you had to be pretty good with it and you were probably contributing, or you were paying a company like a red Hat or something for a product which they were paying people to work on the thing, and and so the the resources were going to those communities. I think that's really the thing now is like, well, if I'm giving my money to say Amazon, how much of that's trickling down to that open source community to keep it viable? And if the answer is none or very little, um, you know, there there has to be a way to uh, sort of fix that. And um, you know, and there's yeah, there's there's a lot of good um, blogs on both sides of this issue, uh, talking you know about different ways. And I, I don't think we have a really good answer if this is the right approach or not
1: no and you know licensing is a is a hard thing everybody you know everybody in the software industry's gone through phases and and this this may be a phase or this may be a one company thing so definitely something just to to kind of keep an eye on if you're uh, you know if you're involved with this space one way or the other as a as a consumer or a contributor or or some other way so anyways man i thought i thought it was a great week um you know it was good to see a lot of people saw some very familiar faces from you know, kind of past technology trends. And, and then obviously seeing a lot of new faces, um, you know, I'll say big kudos to the, to the CNCF for, you know, really inviting a big tent, uh, maybe that's not the right word, sort of a big, broad community, um, you know, making them feel very welcome at the event, uh, whether that's, you know, speakers or just events they do or whatever. Uh, I think they're doing a, a very, very good job of, uh, of growing with the community and, and, you know, kind of not letting it get away from them.
0: Yeah, and I think what's what's really commendable too is um, I think they've put a really big focus on making sure it's an inviting community, um, you know, and, and sort of setting the standards and, and trying to be inclusive as possible, and and sort of not as an afterthought, like oh, we're doing this conference for this technology. Oh, by the way, oh yeah, I guess we should have a code of conduct type of thing. Um, they seem to really embrace it, and you see that by a very uh, diverse set of attendees as well as speakers. Uh, and I think it's a good, plat- as more open source projects go into the CNCF and, and things like that, I think it's, you know, it's a it's a good starting point for the tech community to sort of improve in some of those areas. Yep, yep, absolutely.
1: Well, listen, man, uh, we are, you know, kind of going to head into a, a holiday break here. Uh, we may or may not get another show out depending on, you know, what, what uh holiday things go on but uh you know if we don't get another show out before the end of the year folks thanks to everybody for listening hope you have a great holidays hope you have safe travel if you're traveling somewhere and uh we look forward to talking to you again in 2019 and
0: uh it looks like it's going to be another uh, really fun busy innovative year yeah yeah I'm, I'm excited to uh you know have a little bit of downtime here at the end of the year and then uh yeah right back at it uh, to start the year off
1: very cool. Well, thank you, everybody, for listening. Thank you for telling a friend. We, uh, we did have a lot of people who came up to us and, and found us at the show, and it was nice to make, uh, you know put some names with faces, and uh, thanks to everybody for listening. So with that, folks, as always, thanks for listening this week, and we will talk to you again when we talk to you again next week or in 2019. Have a good one.